Good morning. It is so good to be back home with the church family. It really, really is. Uh, man, I, I have missed you guys, and it was good to be away, but uh, it is so good to be back home and, and see you, and thank you for what you've done to support our family uh, and help us in, in the loss of my brother Larry. You have just been a great church family to us, and we are grateful for all that you've done. And thank you for allowing me to go on sabbatical. I'll tell you about that in a moment, and especially want to thank our staff and our deacons who just did a super job of helping out while I was gone, filling in the gaps, taking care of things, and I really appreciate every one of those folks. And oh, by the way, you had some good preachers while I was gone, I hear. I mean, you, you guys had filet mignon every single Sunday. Now it's back to a turkey sandwich, all right? I just, you like turkey... <laughs> I want to tell you the top 10 things that I learned on sabbatical. Uh, the first one is, is kind of semi-serious. The rest of them are a little bit lighthearted. Uh, top 10 things I learned on sabbatical. Number 10, here's what I've learned. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because uh, that's what I did on sabbatical. Going into sabbatical, I had all of these plans. I had it all planned out. I had goals and, and everything. I mean, I really... I put a lot of time and effort into that. I thought this is going to be a tremendous, awesome sabbatical. And, and I had it all planned out. And almost none of it happened. Uh, in fact, what did happen, I didn't want to happen. It was kind of a tough time, really, to be honest with you, during the sabbatical. Uh, at the, near, near the end of it, my brother Dave said, after it was all over, he, he said, son, you need to get a do-over on that sabbatical. I said, no way, I don't want to go through that again. So, number 10, top 10 things I learned on sabbatical. Number 10, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Number 9. You can sleep late on Sunday and still go to church. I didn't know that, you know. Number eight, when you visit a church and you pass out, it makes a big commotion. <laughs> I learned that on sabbatical the hard way. Number seven, if you go to the ER in an ambulance, you don't have to wait in the lobby. <laughs> I learned that. Learned it firsthand. Take your eyes straight back. Uh, number six, it's fun to sleep during a sermon. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen from somebody. I really didn't. That was a joke. I really didn't sleep, but uh, Lisa did. <laughs> Number five, it's cool to go to church and nobody knows who you are. I mean, that's, that's just, you have to be a pastor to understand that one. Number four, Top 10 things I learned on sabbatical. Number four is this. You can go to church week after week and not get in trouble with your wife for something you said from the pulpit. <laughs> right? Well, it was good while it lasted, you know? <laughs> number three. It's depressing to go to a college campus and be older than the professor <laughs> in every single class you go to. Number two, top ten things I learned on sabbatical. Number two, when you have an abscessed tooth, a bad root canal, a pulled tooth, bridge work, and a broken tooth, it just doesn't feel like a sabbatical. It's hard to be spiritual in those kind of times, you know? Number one, top ten things I learned on sabbatical. Number one, when you wear two different dress shoes to a funeral, you realize you're out of practice. <laughs> I did. I did. I had a funeral last week. 
I had a funeral last week, godly lady, oldest member of our church, Frances Tripp, wonderful lady. Uh, we had her funeral, and I did the whole funeral right here in the sanctuary. I did the whole funeral, did the graveside right up there. At the end of the graveside, when, when it was all over, I happened to look down, and that's what I saw. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's like, God, I don't understand. <laughs> but you can take that down now. I'll be distracted. <laughs> Hey, hey, I did look at my feet about three times, though, before I came to church to make sure, <laughs> to make sure I had the right, both shoes on of the same set. I really do want to tell you the biggest lesson I learned on sabbatical. Uh, came towards the end of the sabbatical, and it actually occurred on February the 1st. Four times that day, I kept running into the same verse. It started out in the morning. There was, we have a Bible app and gives gives you a verse of the day. A lot of you probably have that. It gives you the verse of the day. On February 1, the Bible app, the verse of the day was Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I'm God. I didn't think very much about it. Lisa mentioned it to me. We, we didn't say a whole lot about it. Didn't think a whole, whole lot about it. It's a wonderful verse, but we just kind of saw it and went on. That same day, that morning, we went to a cabin. Lisa took me there. We were sharing a car because one was broke down, and, and so she took me there to drop me off, and, and she was actually in the cabin with me as this gentleman who made his cabin available to me was just kind of explaining where everything is, and wonderful, wonderful uh, setting for something like this. And So we're standing there in this little cabin, and, and he says to me, you know, we're so programmed to do, but the Bible says we need to be. He said, you know, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Oh, that's interesting. That's the second time I've heard that today. So Lisa left. He left. I sat down in the cabin. And a little bit later, I noticed a book over there. And I picked it up. And I, I'm just sitting there. And I just started reading the introduction. Here's what the introduction said. A life-changing verse has been, be still and know that I'm God. And then they went on to write, alternate readings for be still are relax, let go, Cease striving. The author said, This is an enticing invitation from God to lay down our cares and to seek His presence. The author said, I believe that God yearns for those quiet moments with us even more than we do. I also believe that He still speaks to those who will listen to Him. I sat there and I thought, Three times. Three times today. I I keep running into that verse and I, I close the book. And I sat there in that cabin, and for the rest of the day, I tried to be still and seek His presence. As I opened my Bible and as I studied that verse, and I read it and I studied it and I prayed and I just sat there in His presence and I studied it and I read it and I prayed and I, all day long. At the end of the day in that cabin, I got out my phone and I just flipped it open, and I, I turned on Twitter. Not flipped it open, that was a flip phone, wasn't it? I turned it on, and I, I flipped to Twitter is what I was trying to say. And the, one of the very first tweets that I saw was Pastor Steve Gaines had tweeted, Be still and know that I am God. Four times that day. I kept running into that verse. And so I decided, because that verse had come at the end of the day as well, I decided my business is not finished. 
God still has more he wants to teach me. So I went back to the cabin the next day, and I studied that same verse again the second day, and I spent that day trying to be in his presence. And I went back to the cabin again another day, and I opened the word again to that same passage and studied it again, and trying to understand what it means to be still and know that he is God. I want to say to you, I've still got so much to learn. But this past week, it has been refreshing to live in, in this verse. This past week, it has been refreshing to experience His presence. And I've, I've come to decide that I think one of the hardest things in the world for us, in this world that we live in, is to be still. If we have a still moment, we reach for our phone, don't we? To start flipping through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or something. Anytime there's a spare moment, a quiet moment, our, our, in, our tendency is to reach for the phone. Or if we're riding in the car, we automatically turn on the radio to drown out the silence. If we're in our home, we turn on the TV so there will be noise in the room. And for many of us, we can't even go on a walk or go for a run unless we have the earbuds in. It seems like we have an aversion to silence. And in addition to that, we live very busy lives. Your schedule is like my schedule. We have packed schedules. We're going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, until we eventually fall in bed exhausted at the end of the day. And then if there are problems, there's problems in your marriage or problems with your health or problems with your family or problems with your finances or problems at work. It's so easy to get stressed out and burned out. And, and what we tend to do in those times is to push ourselves to do more and to make our way through it. But eventually you will probably hit the wall and realize that there is very little in life that you can control. One of the things that God reminded me during sabbatical is, Keith, there is very little in life you've got control over. How many of you are learning that hard lesson right now, that there's very little in life you have control over? Yeah, lots of hands going up all over the place. Do you know when you usually learn that lesson? It's in adversity. Usually in adversity, we begin to realize there's very little in life that I really have control over. When your greatest fear becomes a reality, or in the middle of an overwhelming, never-ending series of problems, or when you're in a family crisis, suddenly you realize how little control you have over your life. So the question for this entire series is this. How do we find God and find peace in a world that you can't control? I believe Psalm 46 gives us the answer. I want you to open God's Word to Psalm 46. <clears throat> While you're turning to Psalm 46, let me give you the context. Because what you need to know about the Psalms is that they were not written simply to be Psalms. And what I mean by that, they were not written just to be a, a wonderful poem or song or something like that. But many of the Psalms, perhaps all of the Psalms, were written out of real life situations. It was a real-life situation that prompted the writing of that psalm. Sometimes we know what those real-life situations are, and sometimes we don't. But in Psalm 46, most scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written during a time when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, had invaded Israel. And he conquered city after city after city until he came to the great holy city of Jerusalem. 
And Sennacherib and his army surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and they were about to conquer it as well. The psalmist was probably living in that city, the city of Jerusalem during that time. He and all of the inhabitants of the city were powerless against the might of the Assyrian army. They had no hope unless God did something. So the king during that time, King Hezekiah, turned to the Lord for help. He cried out to God. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 19, you can read it later, but the Bible says in 2 Kings 19 that God sent what the Bible calls a destroying angel during the night. And 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed that night. Their bodies were strewn around the, city of, the outside walls of the city of Jerusalem. And Sennacherib, when he woke up the next day and saw that God had killed 185,000 of his soldiers, he and the, what was left of his army fled and went back home to Nineveh. Now, out of that real-life experience, the psalmist wrote about the shelter and the security we have in God when we live in a life we can't control. With that in mind, let's read Psalm 46 and see if it doesn't make a little more sense to us now. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. <clears throat> Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, or Jerusalem, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her. And notice it says, at break of day. That's when the destroying angel came. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He's brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This entire psalm is a psalm about God. In fact, it was the psalm, you may or may not know this, it was the psalm that inspired Martin Luther to write a song called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In this psalm that is about God, in this psalm, everybody, everybody watch this, in this psalm that is about God, the entire psalm is about God, there is one verse where God speaks. This one verse where God speaks is God has something important to say to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This one verse where God speaks, it is a word for the people who are living in a situation they could not control. And maybe it is a word for you today. If, you're, if you find yourself in a situation you can't control. In this one verse where God speaks, this is what God says. Be still. And know that I'm God. Here's what I want to do. I just want to take that phrase, or that verse where God speaks, and I want to break it down phrase by phrase. That's what I did on sabbatical those days as I studied this text. And I just want to show you what the Lord showed me. 
So it's interesting, the very first thing that God says, the very first thing that God says to these people who are living in a situation they can't control, the very first thing that God says is this, be still. It struck me that God didn't say, pray harder, you're in a bad situation. It struck me that God didn't say, work harder. You you might be able to work your way out of this. He didn't even say, trust me more. You see, all of those are activities where we put forth more effort. God said just the opposite of that. God says, you don't need to do more, you need to do less. Be still. It's an intentional act on our part in response to God's clear command. Don't miss that. An intentional act on our part in response to God's command. Be still. Now, if you're a parent, you know this. Because if you're a parent, you've said this. If you've got little kids, you've said it recently. If your kids are older or grown, you remember saying this, I'm sure. I am positive every parent has said this at some time in your life. Shh, be still. Be still. Especially probably in church, right? Shh, shh, be still. Be still. Now, what I've learned is that when we said that to our kids, if they did, if they did comply, it was not because they necessarily wanted to. In fact, they were quite content doing what they were doing. In fact, there was a reason they did what they're, what they're there's a reason they're fidgety. There's a reason they're up. There's a reason they're talking. They're, you know, they want to do that. But if they comply and they are still, it's because simply you told them to. And God, as he spoke to the people in the city of Jerusalem, and maybe as he speaks to you today, the very first thing that he says is this, be still. And if you're going to do that, it will be simply because you respond to what God says. See, for a lot of you, you, your first inclination is, I don't like to be still. Or it might be, I don't have time to be still. I don't get to go on sabbatical, preacher. I don't have time to be still. I've got to work for a living. I can't be still. I've got so many problems I'm dealing with. I, I don't know how to be still. I get that. But what I do know is this. Your preacher is not telling you to do this. Almighty God said, be still. An intentional act on our part in response to God's clear command. So the question would be this, why did God say that? Remember the context of the passage. It includes powerful images in verses 1 and 2 of of mountains falling into the ocean and and the city under assault and and all kinds of powerful uh, images like that. Yet in the midst of that chaos, God says, Rapha in the Hebrew language. Rapha. It's the Hebrew Hebrew word for be still. In the midst of the chaos, God said to the people, Rapha, be still. I studied that word and it means to relax. It means to quit. Or get this, it can be translated, take your hands off of it. Now, we are hands-on people who like to manage our own lives. And God says, take your hands off that. New American, or New, uh, New American translation says, cease striving. 
New Living Translation says, be silent. Some translations just simply use one word, stop. Just stop. Be silent. Now this is important, make sure you get this. When God says, be still and know that I am God, it is not a condemnation, ladies and gentlemen, it is an invitation. It's an invitation to be still and know that He is God. Perhaps we learn more about God in silence than we do in striving. Could it be that we sometimes miss God because we're so busy trying to be God? One thing that I'm learning in this experience is that God's presence is not found in busyness. You can't hear from God when you're in a hurry. You need to remember this. Whenever your problems seem big and God's presence seems small, it's time for you to be still. In a world of endless activity and constant noise and overwhelming problems, God may be calling us just to pause and to listen. So here's the first takeaway. Write this down if you're taking notes. We all need a time when His voice is the only one we're listening to. Every one of us, if you know Christ as your Savior, if God is your Lord, we all need times when it's His voice is the only voice we're listening to. The second phrase that I want you to look at, the second thing that God says is, and know. And it's so easy to read past those two words. And know. The word know there means to acknowledge. In the midst of all that you're going through, God wants you to accept, to admit, to recognize something. He wants you to know something, to acknowledge something. He wants you to know in the depth of your soul that He alone is God. Isn't it interesting? God didn't promise, hey, hey, be still and, and, and everything's going to be good. God didn't say, be still and, and you'll like the ending. God said, you need to be still and there's something that you need to learn There's something you need to remember. Be still so you can know something. And not just know it up here, because for most of us, we've known up here that He's God. For most of us, we've said that all of our lives. The Lord is God. We've recognized that the Lord is God. But God says there's sometimes when life is out of control, there's sometimes when you're in the middle of problems and it's never-ending kind of problems, there's sometimes when you have to get alone and be still and know something that you've forgotten. He is God. I think that's why the psalmist wrote with such confidence in verses 1 and 2. He said, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We will not fear because we understand He is God. You see, as long as you are in His hands, there is no such thing as out of control. Be still and know that regardless of what you're facing, He is still God and you are still His. Now, it's not really being still is not so much about resting as it is about trusting. Just be still and know. Know in your heart, trust me. 
So when you get distracted or worried or overwhelmed with life, you need to find a quiet place of solitude where you can intentionally reconnect with God. And oh, by the way, I don't think we reconnect with God accidentally. I think we reconnect with God when we intentionally stop and we're still before Him. And when we become still before Him, we can begin to know something we have forgotten. Whatever the problem is and however big the problem may be, it is not bigger than the God we serve. Have you all forgotten how to say amen, by the way? There's a song. There's a song. I was... I told Lisa I went back to the cabin yesterday morning, and on the way to the cabin, this song came on. I'd heard it before. It's a great song, but it just seemed to fit so well with what I was preparing to preach. Casting Crowns has a song called, Oh My Soul. Mark Hall sings that, wrote that song, and sings that Mark Hall is a youth pastor and the lead singer for Casting Crowns, and a couple of years ago, Mark Hall, his world got turned upside down because he got the diagnosis that he had cancer in his kidney. And he had to have his kidney removed. And, and the whole scare and the battle with cancer hit him. And he said one day in the middle of all of that cancer chaos, he said, I sat down at the piano. He said, the first words that came out of my mouth were simply these, Oh, my soul. It's a beautiful song. I really wanted to play the whole song for you, but I knew I, I would run out of time if I did that. But when we get to the chorus of the song, it says this, Oh, my soul, you are not alone. There's a place where fear has to face the God you know. There's a place where fear has to face the God you know. God says, be still and know. The third thing that God says is this, I am God. Now, I want to break even that down a little bit further. First, I want you to look at the word I. This whole psalm is a reminder that He is God and we are not. Be still and know that I am God. Now, there's a couple of places where that's emphasized in the Bible, probably more than a couple, but there's two places I want to call your attention. First, go to the right to Psalm 100, verse 3. Psalm 100, verse 3 says this, Know, there's that word again, know that the Lord is God. Acknowledge, be convinced of. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And then run to the left to the book of Deuteronomy, towards the front of the New Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I wish we had time to read verse 32 through 39, but for sake of time, We'll read verse 35 and verse 39. It says, You were shown these things so that you might know. There's the word again. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside Him there is no other. Verse 39. Acknowledge and take to heart. Notice that. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Be still and know that I am God. And then the phrase, 
he uses the phrase, I am. You see that phrase, I am, throughout the Bible, don't you? You, you saw it with Moses when, when, in Exodus when God was calling him at the burning bush, the great I am. You see it with Jesus. He is the great I am of the New Testament. And here in Psalm 46, we're reminded that he is the God who is I am. You see, regardless of what's happening around us, it doesn't change who he is. He's the great I am. And twice in this psalm, in verse 7 and in verse 11, it says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In other words, look at the verse. We've got it on the screen. In other words, the God of Jacob, the God who helped Jacob thousands of years ago is still the great I am. He is still the God who can help us today. And as if we needed to be reminded of it, he tells us twice. Once in verse 7 and once in verse 11. He's not just the God of, uh, he's not just a past tense God. He's the God I am today. Now, he said, be still and know that I am, and then what's the last word in verse 10? Be still and know that I am God. God. There is no one like God. The name itself talks about his preeminence, doesn't it? The very name God talks about his preeminence. He surpasses all other things and all other people. He is God. Be still and know that I am God. You know what the psalmist is saying to you and I? You can face trials of life. You can face the trials that you're in if you'll trust in the one who's in charge of all of life, the one who is God. But you've got to be still. You've got to be still to experience His presence. And do you know why it's so important to experience His presence? Everybody look at your pastor. I want to tell you why it's so important that you do this. You know why it's so important for you to be still and experience His presence? Because when you experience His presence, then you become convinced of His power. But you have to experience His presence first to be convinced of His power to act on your behalf. So he says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I want to close by going to Psalm 9, over Psalm 9. You'll see similar language here in this psalm. Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I love that phrase. Those who know your name will trust in you. Do you know the Lord? If your life is out of control, would you be willing to give Him control? Those who know your name will trust in you. Maybe today you don't know Christ as Savior. Maybe it's your first time here or, or, or you've been here for a while, but, but man, life's been hard for you. Life's been difficult lately. And the first question I would ask you is, do you know the Lord? Do you know His name? Do you understand who He is? Do you know Him personally? If not, today would be a wonderful time for you to give Him control of your life. Who, who better to give control of our life than the one who controls everything? So I asked the Lord in the cabin... On that last day, as I was studying this, I've been there three days studying this passage. On that last day, I, I, I said, God, what does it mean, practically speaking, to be still? 
I mean, I, I can study the Hebrew, I can study the language, I understand what the text is saying, but, but practically speaking, in real life living, kind of, what does it mean to be still? And as I sat there, I sensed three things that he, he was saying to me. The first one was this. Number one, stop the physical activity or slow down. There are times when you're in a hurry. There are times when life is busy. There are times when things are hectic. And in the busiest time of life, it might be very important for you to stop the physical activity, slow down, and just be still in His presence. Number two, God said, stop worrying, calm down. Just be still. What are you worried about? And that's, that's why the psalmist could write as he did. Though the mountains fall into the depth, of the depth of the sea, we're not going to fear. We're not going to worry about it. You know why? Because he had this time where he was still before the Lord. So if you're worried and you're uptight and you're anxious and anxiety and all of that kind of thing, it might be time to be still and know that he is God. Stop worrying. Calm down. And the third thing that he showed me was the hardest one of all. He said, Stop acting, stop acting like God. Bow down. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Stop trying to be God. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. There's only one thing I'm asking you to do today. And the thing that I'm asking you today is simply to be still before the Lord and know that He is God. You're going to have to do that somewhere beyond this day. I, I'm just hoping to get you started. And you're going to have to go somewhere else. And you're going to have to get away. You're going to have to sit somewhere quietly. And it's going to feel uncomfortable at first. It's going to feel awkward at first to sit before the Lord. But, but maybe just take your Bible and go somewhere to be with Him. And just sit and read and listen and pray. And if you do that, you might experience something you haven't experienced in a long time. You might experience His presence again. See, for some of you, God is the relationship you've been looking for all of your life, but you've been too busy to notice it. God is simply saying, stop Slow down. Calm down. Bow down. Be still. Know the depth of your being. I am God. Father, I thank you for speaking to my heart so clearly when I so needed it. And I pray that you've spoken to somebody else today. And I pray that they, even in this invitation, would begin to quiet themselves before you. That they might accept your invitation. Be still. And let you be God. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.